Welcome to a podcast on fire on the Iron Fisted Monk and Carry On Pickpocket. And after setting a tone for martial arts choreography in the 70s, Sammo Hung continued to do so as a director. And it starts with 1977's The Iron Fisted Monk. And also because we've covered most films in between, you know, The Protocol Son, Victim, and all kinds of films, we jump forward to 1982's Carry On Pickpocket to sort of plug up the gaps in Sammo's filmography and uh, with me can be to review both films is uh, one half of the logger logs uh, but also our dear friend and creator of the podcast on fire network uh, who, would, uh, who we don't get on uh, as much as we want because he's a busy busy man but uh, regardless he is Stuart Sutherland so welcome back buddy hello good morning good afternoon good evening whenever you're listening to this hello so let's do a d- uh, little uh, deep cut uh, joke here that only you and I will get so uh, like, uh, like a question with multiple choice here. Uh, let's see if I can trigger some PTSD in here. Oh no! What is this UK label called? In actuality, is it Third Window Films or Third World Films? <laughs> oh lord, yes. Um, Brain fart, a la 2009 or something like that. It was just an unbreakable speech pattern, almost. Trying to intro Adam Torello, Third Window Films. It was three words. It was like I had a sentence to say. And it took over half an hour. Took a long time. <laughs> and you couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't know why. It was just, and I feel like that was like episode four. Very early on. I've been just waiting and waiting for Third World Films. Yep, and I was just like, and I didn't even drink at that point. I was <laughs> nice and sober. Just could not, like, was I starstruck that we had Adam on that he agreed and then continued to look like an absolute tool who just... Uh, struggled to speak like his firstborn language <laughs> but you you were a good man who kept, you, you kept the outtake yourself in the edit so it's not like i'm flushing this down the toilet no one will ever know no no I'm yeah keeping I, that. I, it's context in the sense of it's like so he said hello welcome to the podcast on fire and then stopped talking immediately after that and wasn't heard from again frankly <laughs> handed the reins over to everyone else muted all the times so you were slapping yourself in the background like stupid yeah. stupid 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 and probably pronouncing it perfectly. And then when turn the mic on, <laughs> third honchos. Um, Words are hard. It's not easy, these things. Mm-hmm. Like, like I couldn't speak without a prepared script. Believe me, I have a prepared script. Nothing I'm saying right now is off the cuff. This is all script. <laughs> and I mean, like this is from a label where, okay, third window films. And then they also had tongue twist and titles such as a teenage hooker becomes a killing machine. Yeah. How am I able to say that perfectly, but not the name of the label? Yeah, there were some quirky uh, Korean and Japanese titles. Uh, yes. Like, uh, Shut Up Something You Losers uh, was a title. Uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. um, still going strong, as are we, but you're still going strong as the logologs as well. So we're going to head right into plugging for that. And these shows come out uh, way later after the actual recording. So you can't really plug things that are imminent that you want people to look up because they've passed. So... Let's kind of go back instead. What's 2022 been like for the Loggy Logs? Because I gather you you don't do audio only at all nowadays, right? Yeah, 2022, we, came, uh, we became quite visual. When we were, upon recording this, at the end of this month, August, we'll come up for our second year. So like the second birthday of the Lager Logs podcast. And with that, when I when it first started, Oh, the obvious thing to do is it right get all your your social media handles so we made sure we got a twitter address 
Instagram, the, the lagerlogs.com and like a YouTube channel. We thought, right, that's all we need. And left it there. And we never really done, like we do Twitter stuff. We do lots of Instagram stuff. But YouTube was always kind of just something. We said, like, okay, we've got it. We've got a channel. It's there. We'll do something with it between seasons because we would do the podcast sporadically. We'd do like two months of podcasting and then take four months off and then come back for another two months of podcasting just to kind of not let it be overwhelming and to give like our liver a rest. And, and you yourself, I know fam- Tom isn't, but I, I'm sure he's busy out, outside of the podcasting world. You also are a family man, so you obviously can't uh, do this all the time. Um. Exactly. And it wasn't until this year that we really decided, okay, on our off season, we should probably start doing stuff with this YouTube because when we record, uh, we record videos, so we're always left with dozens and dozens of video files and no use for them. So I, I bought like a, a video editing software off of like the Microsoft App Store. So just, you know, something cheap and cheerful, £10, and just made myself learn how to use it. And yeah, I think at this point we might have possibly close 40 to 50 videos on our YouTube channel. And a lot of it was just regurgitating old content, like beer reviews that were taken from the podcast. Now you could just watch us drink the beer, see our reactions. But now we've started creating like original content for the YouTube channel. So it's everything from either like just unique beer reviews. I mean, we reviewed like an Iron Maiden stout called Fear of the Dark. So that wasn't like on any of the podcasts. That was just for the YouTube channel. We just see us pouring a beer, drinking a beer, our reactions. But we've always had ideas of we should do a, like a show. And that eventually became Beer Wars. So it's a competitive uh, beer shopping YouTube show. So me and Tom would have a set budget and we'd go to the same stores and then just see who got the better the better deal who got the the most beer who got the most styles or varieties uh, breweries and then who actually has the most uh, volume of liquid like the who, who got the most beer and we turn it into this three round game and yeah that seems to became like the most popular thing on the channel i bought a gopro camera and started contacting breweries and i've been doing like uh, brewery tours or a look inside breweries so we've got videos of just me going to these places and it's like your normal youtube stuff the the video starts with like time-lapse car journey driving towards the site and then it's just glossy shots with fancy background music and yeah i've suddenly become obsessed with just doing these little movies and editing them the last one i done was a, a look inside fatal brewery and that was maybe 10 minutes worth of footage by the time i finish with it i'm down to it's less than four minutes because i just like nope we don't need that no nope, we don't need that and i'm just sitting clipping it it's almost like uh, you've got the razor blade and a garlic like a little clove of garlic and you're just slicing it like each video i'm just getting a little bit closer is that right we don't need that 0.5 seconds that can go right we could change this and yeah sometimes i'm having to do videos where we're putting um like the beer wars logo to cover up tom because he's topless oh god it's a nightmare Stuart. <laughs> i love tom by the way but um i'm glad that you have to deal with that and not me yes uh, it's not just you mate um <laughs> it's the the whole when we're doing our show tom's fine normal 
completely clothed. But whenever we're doing like guest appearances, you know, networking, Tom is always late. And when he shows up, he's either got his face painted, he's either got no clothes on, or he's dressed as a French maid. This is why we can't have nice things. Like <laughs> we're, we're going speaking to bigger channels, we're introducing ourselves, we're getting a good banter. Oh, okay. Um, Tom showed up in blue face. Okay. And just completely oblivious to, to what's going on around. I think he likes to leave a memorable mark on the audience. Like the people are watching us because these live appearances will be on like live streams. So there's always people watching. So I think he's got it in his head. Was like, right, well, if I show up in a French maid's outfit, his audience will remember us. Well, well, I, I guess it's not wrong because uh, you you content needs to be um, you know logged into people's uh, uh, minds. Yes, he's one of those boys. You have to let him get out of his system, then we can move on. Exactly, and that's where let, editing comes in. Let him run around like uh, one of those uh, one of those dogs that needs to tire himself out um, a little bit first. Yes, exactly. Um, so, well, uh, bless you for investing uh, into the visual uh, side of it all. And uh, I guess it's a good thing that Tom isn't on 4K, considering uh -huh. uh, yes. considering what he does on camera. Like it's uh, you keep the 240p, buddy. Mm -hmm. I don't think you'll ever up upgrade his laptop. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you are, um, as always, uh, for as long as I've known you, you've been the idea man and you've um, gone to work and executed and you're still mm. doing that. So that that's uh, very admirable and cool. Uh, it, it's something I would never do because it's not in my blood to um, be as proactive and certainly not in my blood to be uh, to be on camera anyway, because uh, no one needs to see this. And uh, I, I really don't uh, feel comfortable doing that stuff. So if you ever invite, well, you have invited me onto the log logs, but it's going to be, uh, you're going to have to put, put up a temporary image of something else. Uh, because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not showing my face to you guys either. And that's just a fact. <laughs> not doing it. We're going to place all the links and uh, plugs and all that, but um, uh, throughout the uh, relevant plugs uh, for the people in uh, audio form in a way that isn't... Uh, too overwhelming do you have a link tree that one can go to or how do you plug normally if they really just go to the largalogs.com or you just search the largalogs for twitter and instagram we've got those but if you're wanting to look for the youtube you can either type that into youtube or go into our <clears throat> or go into largalogs.com and then i've posted the the original videos onto the website so you could just click to watch it and then through there you'll get access to the channel Excellent. We'll uh, place those links and uh, happy the remainder of uh, 2022 and hope uh, there is some further content and hopefully some new ideas are born and bred through conversation and uh, ideas looking at uh, your own chats or looking at other creators. And uh, is that a big community in general, you think? I mean, we know gaming community is big. We know... Uh, um, music reacting is big, and uh, but but you know the beer reviewing or beer tasting community on YouTube is that, is that a big thing in your estimation? It's not. It's you will probably have thousands of channels, but that's thousands in comparison to I guess reaction videos and gamer videos. Like there'll be millions, so I think it is a fairly small pool. And right now, it's just really the, the pond we're in just now is sort of like your UK. Uh, craft beer scene so it's not to the point where we've gotten in touch with like americans and like the world craft beer scene so that's probably as big as the pond will get if we end up kind of collaborating with people there 
but at the moment we're still just kind of speaking amongst other British, we go with the, the term beer tubers. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a neat thing to see and uh, uh, maybe in the f- future you will have to uh, expand to a local studio space to hang this big log logs backdrop and uh, have tons of shelves uh, decorating the frame before yes, the viewers I... get to uh, the log logs, uh, log logs live streams and videos. So um... mm-hmm. We're just getting to the point where hopefully Tom will wear clothes so we could get there. We're doing good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go- goals are important. And mm-hmm. uh, so are clothes. Uh, but uh, bl- bless him for investing in uh, the entertainment factor of it all. Yes. So, uh, uh, excellent, my friend. Uh, we'll take a, a short music break, listen to a little piece of uh, music from the Iron Fisted Monk, and uh, we'll see if we can have, a, so, have, have sort of warmed up Stu to get into the whole uh, Hong Kong cinema podcast reviewing game again. But uh, I'll hold his hand firmly and lead him through this and uh, leave you all through some background information called from. Some of the various releases of the Iron Fisted Monk. We've been blessed with uh, with some um, releases where we can extract some information about the film and uh, careers and so forth. So we're gonna we're gonna share that first, then go on to the review. But first of all, a little music break. And welcome back. In the first review of this episode is The Iron Fisted Monk from 1977, Sammo Hung's debut film as director and plot from Letterboxd. Husker, or Hawker, played by Sammo Hung, is a student of uh, the Shaolin monks, learning Kung Fu so he can uh, avenge his uncle, who was murdered by the Manchus who controlled the province. He leaves his training early, desperate to teach the killers a lesson, and teams up with martial artist monk Sante, played by Chen Sing who is teaching a group of factory workers how to defend themselves. When the Manchus strike again, Husker and his Buddhist, Buddhist pal decide it's time to even the score. So he's not uh, deviating from the popular Kung Fu template, uh, Samo. And um, I have some notes um, in my personal notes. I think there's a good reason why you should stick to what's uh, hot in the late 70s. But uh, I suppose a little quick breakdown uh, of uh, Samo's ascension from Peking Opera student to stuntman to martial arts director, actor and director of his first film, The Iron Fisted Monk, is in order. And I remember reading in the Laserdisc notes for Eastern Condors that both Samo's parents had jobs in the film industry and uh, he was a hyperactive sort of naughty son. He He was mostly left in the care of his grandparents while his parents worked. And uh, they, they didn't have time, therefore, to sufficiently raise their son. So he was enrolled in the Peking Opera School, supervised by his teacher, Master Yu, Jim Yun. And this changed the naughty boy into a, a disciplined one, leading into performing for his master in the opera troupe Seven Little Fortunes, alongside Jackie Chan, Yun Hua, Yun Biu, etc. And when the kids were released from the opera school, uh, they and therefore Samo entered the film industry in an attempt to make a living because Peking Opera was not uh, a popular enough thing for uh, them to uh, sustain this uh, living or Nova School as such. And I think Master Yu, Jim Yoon, emigrated to America at one point as well. Um, I actually saw the move he was in 
uh, he he had been in a few movies, uh, Master Yu, Jim Yun, but he, he got a starring vehicle in The Old Master. And did, that was shot in America. So I'm thinking uh, that's the way they got him, by shooting on his home turf in that regard. Not a great film, but it's one of those neat things to see Jackie Chan's and Sammo Hong's real-life teacher yeah. as a leading man is a neat thing and he's an old man but he he moves gracefully enough but clearly they are doubling him as well mm-hmm. and the in actual fact i mean it's not great but it has a sort of central master student um dynamic that isn't bad but but it's also a cheesy film and disposable of course but it's neat to watch it and it, it's in that um eureka release of uh, eight Joseph Quo movies. Uh, uh, it's called uh, Cinematic Vengeance. Mm-hmm. And The Old Master is uh, in that. It looks therefore splendid and uh, like, like a new film, really. It, it's novelty factor is its strongest factor to watch uh, Master You in The Old Master. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's um, one of those things that you didn't think existed. And uh, indeed it did. But as for Samuel's um, acting appearances um, and uh, presence in the film industry, he... Uh, he did some, both as an actor and martial arts director across uh, the 60s, late 60s in particular and onwards, and he became a staple of martial arts action cinema by gaining the trust of makers to supervise that um, aspect, uh, stunt coordinating and fights. And off note, Sammo uh, was entrusted uh, by legendary director King Hu. Uh, he makes an appearance, Sammo that is, in A Touch of Zen in 1971, but... Um, uh, whether he did any martial arts action directing in those movies, I can't really say. The official one is Han Ying Che, which is uh, the big boss from the big boss. He was a staple of King Hu's productions in terms of uh, being the uh, the uh, martial arts director. But if you've uh, ever watched, uh, and you can watch uh, one of these films uh, on UK Blue, uh, so if you ever watched like The Fate of Lee Khan or The Valiant ones, you can see Samuel's creativity and powerful action in there because he was now officially the martial arts director and that really elevated King Who's movies into in my eyes like competitive ones within the Kung Fu film because he normally had a more athletic, elegant reserved style and that was a bit old fashioned by the mid 70s but those two films in particular showed that uh, even though they're you know he faded as a maker King Who I think those films uh, kept up with the times in terms of what kind of action they presented and um, I don't know if you've seen uh, ever seen like the fate of Lecon uh, that's on blue in um, in the UK did you ever pick that up out of any interest no I haven't it just there was no uh, sort of recognition so like I'll, I'll normally go for don't know the actors have I heard about it before but that one was fairly under the radar for me it's a neat watch because uh, what King Hu is really good at is these um, quiet tension filled um confrontations within an inn setting you can see that in come drink with me but the fate of lee khan really is centered around it and then you have that uh, breakout of samung style power to the action mm-hmm. so it is a really neat neat watch um got some golden harvest uh, players in there so angela mao is in it and a variety of people so uh, it, it's a cool watch if, if you have a fancy uh, going for a cheap version of that eureka Eureka Blu-ray. The Valiant Ones is one of the films that uh, has remained a bit more elusive out of those two. But uh, I'm hoping that uh, the restoration that's been showcased on YouTube will lead to official 
releases because uh, the ones we have right now are taken from laser discs and not good enough for modernize really uh, Samuel wasn't just inventing stuff and uh, creating style himself but uh, he, he was looking at folks in the directing chair such as Korean director Jong Changhua of King Boxer fame and uh, frequent Golden Harvest director Huang Feng in their techniques uh, so uh, that is going to lead up to him directing himself but uh, Samuel as you uh, know Stuart he was kind of a constant presence in their productions you can see him in like his credited all credit is all over those 70s movies from golden harvest where whether the angry river the blade spares none hapkido which he mm-hmm. co- co-stars in when taekwondo strikes stoner and even the australian hong kong co-production the man from hong kong directed by uh, brian trenchard smith uh, somewhere is in the film and he's also entrusted with doing some of the action, not all of the action. I, I don't know if you've seen the man from Hong Kong, but that that has just the sort of Australian madman stunt mentality right there on display, and uh, it's so much fun to watch it because of uh, because of that as well. No, I've never gotten around to that one. I've been aware of that one, but no, it's a good watch. I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, some of the people in it would then bleed into Mad Max uh, and uh, and the likes. Mm. And if you've seen Mad Max, you you certainly know uh, the old one. And uh, we old once, and uh, the the newest one at the time of recording, because I believe there is another one in, in the process. Players from the, the man from Hong Kong would uh, go on to Mad Max, and uh, Australian stuntmen were um, kind of uh, kind of naughty on the level of Hong Kong filmmakers in a way. And uh, <laughs> it's really neat to see the man from Hong Kong in that uh, in in that light as well. So it, it's a recommended watch if you have a bump into it and jimmy wang Yu, as much of a prick as he was on that set uh, still is jimmy wang Yu, and he's pretty cool um there, there's some stories about how horrible jimmy wang Yu was on the set of uh, the man from hong kong bit of a racist prick as it turns out did not like white women let's just no, say that God's sake. all this experience finally led up to you know he created directorial instincts while watching other directors and uh, and he created this eye for narrative structure and in in, uh, in 1977 uh, summer hong yeah uh, directed his first film the iron fisted monk and that earned about 2.3 million hong kong dollars at um on release and it's quite hard to find numbers around this time so i can't even do like a basic analysis of how it did versus the competition but i do know that john woo's swordplay film lost to ralph of chivalry took in a bit of a one uh, took in a bit over one million so so that's a perspective that iron fisted monk earned more um uh, than john woo's film at the time um, so, so as you well know, uh, Stuart, uh, Simon was often running with kung fu and kung fu comedy hybrids like uh, Knockabout, and uh, then he did, did this this to- sort of two punch Wing Chun story with Warriors Two and Protocol Sun, and uh, and then we turn like uh, from the seventies into the eighties, and uh, then he was doing a hybrid between horror and kung fu with uh, Encounter at the Spooky Kind, and uh, Protocol Sun happened as I said, and Lucky Stars, and it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling and being so exemplary so it's quite a trajectory that i think is uh, a bit unmatched to be honest because i i, I can't really think of many samahun clunkers around that time there's some politically incorrect ones that are hard to watch at points but are still exemplary in other areas like pantyhose hero i still find to be a hard watch but man is it good a good one for action you know mm-hmm Let's just stop that. Like off the top of your head, it's like do 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 you like the more do, do you like the kung fu side of Zama or do do you fancy more the the modern stuff, uh, the modern action as it got into the Lucky Stars groove and uh, making those types of movies and Heart of Dragon and all of that. That's a hard one, actually. 
because I do really love the Kung Fu era, but then there is so many, many memorable roles for his uh, later stuff in the 80s. What do you think you got into first, if you remember TV viewings and such? Uh, was it the Kung Fu stuff that uh, of Samus that you saw first? Or did, I think did it you would see? have been, yeah. Yeah, because that's it. You, like, probably the earliest form that I saw Samo on TV probably would have been Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In his, in his uh, little pants versus, uh, yeah. versus Bruce Lee. <laughs> um, and then when it got to like Lucky Stars, that would have been when I got right into collecting uh, Hong Kong Legend DVDs. So I think it would still just been his introduction would have been his Kung Fu phase. Because uh, the Magnificent Butcher was always a significant Samo Kung Fu film for me. I think that's probably his, his peak. Maybe that alongside Warriors 2. But that's more of like a joint structure between him and Casanova Wong. Whereas Magnificent Butcher, it was like all on his shoulders. Yeah, for sure. I started with John Woo and that genre, Heroic Bloodshed. So getting into Kung Fu and such, that it took until the DVD era hit for me to mm-hmm. get into Bruce Lee and certainly Samo and further Jackie Chan exploration. So, but but I've never like had a hard like, oh, I like this stuff much better. Like uh, Samo's uh, taste and execution in Kung Fu versus the hard-hitting and stunt-heavy stuff in the modern uh, era is is all good for me i'm in the process of watching skinny tiger fatty dragon and even the tiny moments he didn't direct that one but it's clearly his stamp on reaction uh, but even tiny moments when he's just following through with punches and punching what in uh, what looks like full contact someone into this glass display that goes Boom! Into the glass display and then into the floor, uh, onto the floor. Those tiny moments are just like mwah, magic. Like you don't get that uh, with uh, any other filmmaker in terms of that power. Mm-hmm. All the better for it. Like yeah, I never get tired of that power. So um, it's it's hard to choose in that regard. But um, but, but Prodigal Son, for instance, is, is this sort of like candidate for the best kung fu movie ever? And I stand by that because it's uh, it's funny and it's affecting and it's uh, just. Uh, flawless in mm. in all areas even you know toilet stance flushing toilet stance is super <laughs> yeah. funny but still i can't pick like oh i prefer his old school stuff i mean even even stuff like knockabout which i had not watched uh i i don't really thought that worked very well i thought that was a, like a tiring kung fu comedy and then you and you got to strut his stuff and then it was great so he's not flawless mind you he had a good handle on comedy but uh in, in that uh, god that, that that film was kind of uh uh, tiring to be honest uh, some further notes i guess that i gathered from the various audio commentaries uh, on the film that might be of interest uh, if you watched the opening if you remember the opening uh, at uh, the outside uh, view of shaolin temple that's a location in korea because uh, those temple uh, 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 courtyards they, they can only do interiors in hong kong there, there was no like equivalent to uh, as nice of a temple anyway uh, they had no extensive back lots, so uh, yeah, so if they had done that, they would have done an, an interior for exterior. But uh, they went to Korea to uh, to get some nice uh, nice exterior work, and you see Samo Hong uh, squaring off uh, versus one of his discoveries, which was Casanova Wong. Yes, aye. and uh, it obviously led to uh, a fruitful uh, collaboration in Warriors Two uh, the year uh, after. So um, that man. Uh, Made an impression on Samo, and uh, here he is in the little uh, uh, opening fighting cameo, which is uh, which is very cool. Yeah, I was almost a little let down that he 
he was only in like, the opening title sequence. Because, uh, as I said, I'm a big fan of Warriors too. So when I seen them doing a little spar at the start, it's like, oh, this film's instantly gotten better. Like, because I've only seen it once. I rented this on DVD a long time ago. I think I was still in college. That might be 20 years now. So it's so long ago. And uh, I just thought, I remember renting it and thinking, eh, okay. And now we're having an interest in looking at it again. But just re-watching it yesterday and seeing Casanova pop up, I thought, ah, maybe I was too harsh on this. And then realise when it cuts to the actual film, he never appears again. No, because we cut to interiors and other characters walking uh, walking by and appearing. And, uh, you know, the Abbott... Um that oversees the the uh, training that we cut to is actually director Wong Fung, or, you know, the Golden Harvest uh, sort of mainstay uh, and uh, one of Samuel's inspirations and mentors um, who, who joined the company uh, early on, uh, the inception of Golden Harvest and directed their first film, The Angry River, but uh, he's all over those movies. He directed, you know, uh, I believe, Hapkido and Taekwondo Strike, Stoner with George Lazenby. So, so Sam will call him uh, adopted father, you know, and he was given a chance as action director by Wong Fung. And they actually worked together on the script for Iron Fisted Monk. So uh, he was uh, close by and could do a cameo here as uh, the, the monk or the abbot overseeing, uh, overseeing matters here. Uh, furthermore, Sam Hung is not shaved like the other monks because he's not a fully ordained monk. He's a layman member. So, um, And apparently, uh, this is my weak spot. I mean, I'm only taking this from the commentaries. When it comes to Chinese martial arts history and its uh, characters, a lot of things are sort of inflated myths, you know. But but the, the commentaries do mention that Samo's character was based on on one such out of the history of southern Chinese martial arts, uh, this uh, hawker or rice husker. So uh, I think uh, they mentioned that he was uh, said to be one of the ten tigers of Canton and or ten tigers of Guangdong. And that refers to a group of ten Chinese martial artists from that province who lived around the 19th century during the Qing dynasty in China. And they were said to be the greatest fighters in Guangdong during that era. But, but sort of correct facts are hard to... Uh, to get because uh, these characters are story and stories are more like folk le- legends, mm-hmm. and they, they are passed on to generation to generation, and therefore it's easy to make up new little story paths. Um, um, let's move on to another note. Chen Sing, I mentioned, uh, he plays uh, monk Sante or Santa. That's the same character Gordon Gu played in Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin. Ah. And he was also another member of the Ten Tigers of Quantum. Uh, so each person was a master in different southern martial arts. Uh, um, so, so yeah, his story is depicted in Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin. Uh, you know, uh, bullied and trained in Shaolin, and comes back for revenge again. If these stories are completely made up for movies, or if they are the the known myths prior, who knows? But uh, that's the sort of thing you uh, they're, they're not biopics necessarily. Uh, Chen Sing you usually recognize with a mustache Stuart uh, in film uh, but he gets an it's not here he's got a shaved head and he plays an unusually heroic character I, I, I felt like I've seen those eyebrows somewhere before <laughs> yeah all all over those uh, many Chang Che films many Kung Fu films where he's uh, he's the lead but it's all he's one of those uh, gritty big presences he doesn't move with grace necessarily but he, he can uh, display power that's for sure this was, by the way, the first of the Golden Harvest Cantonese martial arts pictures. So there, we're having a transition here from Mandarin to Cantonese. 
And finally, there, there was a rumor stated by one of the persons doing various audio commentaries that uh, there, there is a Shaolin wooden men uh, training scene in the film that you see in Shaolin wooden men and other types of uh, movies uh, that, that Samuel his character participated in he tried to perform that test before leaving the Shaolin temple but uh, if it was uh, it's certainly not in the film or any uh, like uh, visual material available for the film so so some notes there but let's move over to the film it's not Samo's best uh, but but I feel like it's a debut work it's a nice and safe debut work you know Ming versus Qing dynasty small town evil some Shaolin temple stuff and uh, I think that's a sensible choice to it for a debut filmmaker to to not overreach uh, but not everything on display is breakout material and i think there is an uneasy combo of comedy violence and sexual violence here yes um but no doubt i, I think if samuel's desire to infuse his action with power the hand-to-hand stuff the weapons in- intricacy that's here even if some sequences are better than the other but um, i did not feel that this clicked uh, the contrast in light and dark in particular was a mm-hmm. bit iffy uh, that's for sure so in, in short before we do some more extensive notes uh, what did you think of the iron fisted monk it is it's definitely an interesting film but it's it's not one that how to say it, it doesn't translate well nowadays but it might just be because we've seen far better from him and it makes sense with this being his debut direct and um, it shows a lot of promise, but then there's certain themes where we probably didn't need to press upon that, or we probably didn't need to see that. And there's maybe later when his his mixture of kung fu humor and then mixed with like more lighter comedy. So like I have what I'm trying to think. I haven't seen Magnificent Butch for a good while, but I feel like in his fight with like Lee Hoi San, didn't he like leave eggs on his head and when they were sitting fighting, and I feel like that mixture of kung fu and comedy without all the raping that goes on in this movie, um, things like that, it's just, I don't know whether the camera lingers a little too long or it makes the film particularly horny for an unneeded reason. It, it, it certainly wants to establish good and evil, and that's yes, it's, it's pushing for that uh, a bit too hard um in, in my eyes uh, especially since it is comedic as well i mean if it would have been all dark then maybe you know he's, uh, he's devoted to to the darkness of the story but um they even i mean i'll get to this but they even put uh, humor with, within the rape sequences like oh boy right okay we know fung hakon is a terrible well his character is terrible and does terrible things and that's established and with the first half an hour and there's a right probably don't need to see him do more of these that's that what's it once twice three times is that right okay we know this guy's gonna have to pay like this guy's getting a lot of free range here is that, oh that wait that girl had a sister and they know we should stop him before the sister it's really um, I'm I'm seeing a uh, someone who's finding their feet and trying to uh, try out levels here in terms of making a narrative. And uh, I think he got away. I mean, there, there's violence against women in his films, but I don't remember Samuel's filmography being as rapey yes. uh, as this film is. Um, so I'm I'm not making any excuses for neither this film or subsequent films, but uh, in the other films um, we didn't have uh, this uh, exploitation element uh, 
and I don't agree with uh, a lot of things that go on in his subsequent films, but they're they're not as uh, sort of uh, iffy as uh, they um, they are here. But uh, we'll get into some analysis why he did what he did, I suppose. Uh, on on the positive sides, that that assured element of power that uh, Samuel provided the films of the seventies with is here uh, uh, he's doing narrative but he's not getting away from his desire to make hard and powerful actions which i think is uh, uh, very cool to see but it's also uh, wise as i said to not complicate matters making your first film so that that's why this is a ming versus Jing kind of set up we have shaolin temple uh, training here and uh, it's it's nice and comfortable and th- that way as someone new you can uh, make something basic and practice your uh, skill and uh, so it's not a surprise to me that his debut is old school and uh, it got yes. better so much quicker uh, i mean I'm, I'm going by memory here but uh, uh iron fisted monk was uh, sorry uh, warriors 2 was a year after and if i'm not mistaken it's either the i think it's second or third film because um around that time you had enter the fat dragon and warriors 2 uh, whether enter the fat dragon was his second or third but so many things changed immediately enter the fat dragon it's a wonderful comedy and a wonderful homage to bruce lee and as goofy as it is and as broad as it is very funny and warriors 2 has elements of uh, of uh, him and Chin Yutsang being uh, goofy, but it works so much better. He strikes a better balance, and here he's uh, working it out. And uh, I guess it's assuring story that he worked it out quick. His uh, balance. That's, I'm not sure if they had uh, focused groups back in the late seventies in Hong Kong saying this is great, but they're just a wee bit less rape. But the pe- people who had seen seventies movies like Hapkido, When Taekwondo Strikes, and what have you, they 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 would know his work as a fight choreographer. And you, mm-hmm. in my eyes, you would feel confident about what he can pull off as yeah. director. And once we get past the, the decent sections of him being a bit of a naughty monk, and uh, when he gets into the scuffle, uh, which is training, I suppose, with James Chen, you you can see some awe-inspiring stuff uh, as he has a weapons duel with James Chen that makes Samo look very good and makes James Chen look very good. That's like a, an exchange that I think uh, is uh, one for the books because it looks so... The, the fluidity but also the intensity which is what I come back to that uh, makes a fight scene like that such a delight. And, and some assured camera work along the way as well. So, um, so, so yeah, seeing that sequence made me quite uh, hopeful about uh, the sort of uh, level of quality throughout the movie. It does vary, but uh, that's a good starting point to see those two uh, spar. Yeah, and that's a, it was an absolute joy to see James Tien in this movie because he is kind of one of, like, one of these actors. When I see him in a movie, the movie has instantly gotten a little bit better. Um, just through like loving uh, the earlier Bruce Lee movies, the films that had James Tien in it instantly kind of made those ones better for me. So when I start seeing him outside of like a Bruce Lee movie, it's always a bonus. So to kind of see him as the teacher and like that that duo where it was like the staff and like the saber, it was just so well done. It was just this this bonus. I guess it, it, maybe it made up for. Uh, Casanova, uh, Casanova's cameo. <laughs> like, like poor Stuart. Like, oh, Casanova's in it. No, he's not. Damn it, James Chen is in it. 
no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he's out immediately. He doesn't even come back. I don't think that this was a surprise that he can pull off uh, sequences like that because yeah. he, he had been doing it f- during the course of the 70s. So it really looks good on, on the film to have that um, quality. But but yeah, it goes into that obviously used trope as well because it's good for cinema, good for audience um, to know who they should sympathize with. You know, you know who's the oppressors uh, and you know who uh, the characters are going to revolt against uh, these bullying sadistic uh, rulers and uh, so that's nothing new and uh, that's you know could have been a very anonymous thing uh, too but but it certainly doesn't come off as anonymous considering how hard Samo is working to establish who is evil and who is good and he's going for the juggler. So, I mean, there, there, there had been violence across the board, you know, Sam was sometimes smacking women in films, uh, which is always going to be problematic, but sometimes you just, it, it's sometimes just so off the wall, crazy what it does, like you you just go with it. There are two instances where, uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's clever or anything, but the end of Encounter of the Spooky Kind, when his uh, awful wife, comes back because oh, yeah. uh, he's um, she's betrayed him and uh, actively worked to set him up for uh, for murder and then she comes back oh my god where have you been hubby and he just punches the shit out of her considering what he's been through mm-hmm. and it's almost like as a shame as shameful as it is you just go yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know it's a hard thing to talk about, but then you have scenes in Malaki Stars where, where you have like Nishiwaki Michiko like flexing and yeah. like uh, showing off her muscles, and this is going to be an opponent of note. And Samo decks her with one punch, and it's it's like dunk, she's done. Yeah, it's almost knocked her back into the kitchen. It's a bit more thought out, a bit more. Uh, structurally sound I suppose here as you alluded to when he's going to set up the Manchu rulers the, the sort of young Manchu rulers that walk around town and grabbing whatever they like including women including flesh you know sexual violence is uh, not out of the question for these characters you know he's he's experimenting I suppose with setting up uh, these uh, people as, as evil and then we knew, know who to root for we know who to hate rape sequences I'm sure turned up in Hong, in, um, Hong Kong Kung Fu comedy movies but it still doesn't make it very very comfortable and and i think i I wouldn't have forgiven this rape scene uh, as such but i would have liked it to be all dark i think what sinks it is the fact that he uh injects comedy into it yeah i i noticed that in particular was it the second rape sequence when i can't remember if it was either the muller or just they went into a woman's house and it was the whole gang. The, the thing I'm thinking of is in the first sequence, as the, his gang is waiting outside, as Fung Hakon rapes uh, this uh, sister of another main character. One of them, the uh, not in check, but one of the guys grabs that lady's mother's hands or arm and start like stroking it and like enjoying it that way. And even to the point where she, her expression changes of "I might get raped by these men." And now she's suddenly, I don't know, through osmosis, listening to Fung Hakon give it his best. And the whole, <laughs> everyone's enamoured. All of a sudden, everyone's going horny in the living room, yeah. listening to the rape going on next door. And the fact that her expression changed just was like a little cringeworthy. 
a little bit yeah and and it's you know i i, I can take most exploitation films uh, really and don't have any reaction other than you know it's horrible but i i think uh, it's a sign here of a new filmmaker experimenting with tone and certainly not getting there um i probably would have been less cringe it would have been less cringe worthy had it been all dark and it's it's sort yeah. of 90 percent dark and then he injects some some silliness in there and yeah uh, it so really I, is i could imagine for it. back in like, the opening weekend at the cinema uh, that probably would have got an, like an awkward chuckle probably from the audience of right this is really dark but look at her face this is daft this is silly but it's it's a strange like idea to come up with thinking right you know what would like add more to this scene if you've changed from fear of assault and rape to i don't know <laughs> all of a sudden daydreaming lusting this sequence when you rented it and when i first got my dvd 20 years ago this sequence was not fully uncut it is now except for some fogging of never regions which i uh, which i think it was done in hong kong yeah but uh, regardless yeah. uh, so i don't remember if that's that's all lustful observation that the mm-hmm. other characters do actually was in the old dvd they certainly cut a, cut, cut the sexual violence cut the rape down uh, fong hakon uh, slaps her around a little bit that was sexual violence that the bbfc did not allow back then so i, I don't remember that but it's, it's certainly it's a good word for it it's a bit cringe worthy but uh, he, he certainly wasn't make it that got a vision and executed it well very fast you know he as a filmmaker i think he was off to races quite quickly by his second film and a lot of the sequences in this is uh him uh very comfortable doing both some comedy is very funny which i'll get to in a short bit and the kung fu action is largely you know notable for uh, uh which makes the movie this uh decent standout as a, a late 70s kung fu uh Kung Fu film uh, of uh, of basic uh, with a basic story, you know, of uh, good versus evil, and certainly a lot of cameos. Cameos, if you watched uh, Hong Kong movies uh, for a couple of oh, years, oh yeah, it's like Kung Fu cinema bingo almost. Yeah, because because these were stunt persons and uh, Kung Fu players and background players, um, so we have a lot of fun with. Uh, watching them appear briefly as part of mm. gangs whether you know pulling from memory at uh, chin yutsang has a mustache eric tsang turns up at one point wu ma has a couple of funny scenes yes yeah, so that's kind of the the naughty humor that you almost get away with where it's it's almost like something from porky's yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> wu ma's shown up to to have his way with this this prostitute and she points out she's a a vegetarian on these set dates of the month <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> and he's like but but no i i was wanting this one specific thing <laughs> i've cleaned it really well <laughs> no i have a problem with that brothel sequence lasting way too long in other areas but some areas show his that scene is funny that exchange is very funny there's one point where the uh, person's after samo points to where he's standing and there are two people there and samo looks at the other person points at him Oh yeah, and then quite, it's all played uh, non-verbally, right? Mm-hmm. And then when he realizes, oh, they're pointing at me, so he points at him, like, mm-hmm. oh, not him, me? Yeah, very nice bit. I actually like that stuff, no non-verbal stuff, rather than like, ah, yeah, me. Exactly. I feel like that's a thing that Jackie took for some of his films too. I could remember him always sort of like you're pointing almost to your nose, 
Like, whereas, like, I, I'm not sure if that's something that he's picked up from Samuel, but I just when I seen Samuel doing that, I felt like I've I've seen this this gag before. But it would make sense that Jackie's maybe taken from the people that like like his big brother. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> who knows how if that was culturally embedded or something they took from growing up together. You know. Yeah, and even with the sequence, as you're you're right in saying it's it's over long. To the point where like Jan Singh has to show up in disguise to kind of get keep the story going. Yeah, because the, the the thing with the brothel sequence is that they, as nice as it is to see Samuel being nimble and move like you didn't know a big guy would. Oh, and those head spins. Yeah, right. it those comedic fights, him showing the man shoes, who's who's the, who's gonna come out uh, better and uh, be a little bit of an entertainer in the process those comedic fights i thought went on way too long it did not really get my uh, get me going in terms of comedic choreography you know the stuff where he crawls between their legs which is very demeaning normally but he actually pulls uh, puts a prank on them and their pants fall down and it seems like we're there for an additional 10 or 15 minutes and i could not wait to sort of get out of that sequence because i did i, I feel i felt it did stop the movie in his tracks and experimented with comedy way too much but 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 then there are little bits that Wumash shows up again and shows that he's in tune with Samuel's comedy because there are onlookers obviously and Wumash is watching the fight swaying back and forth back and forth and the guy behind him says why can't you stop swaying like oh well I'm a sailor I'm used to being on a ship so this is sort of a reflex (laughs) <laughs> but you're almost reminding me of the TikTok gag where he plays a mental patient in like uh, oh, I want to say my lucky stars uh, oh, oh, oh wheels on me as part yeah. of it yeah, yeah, yeah. when they're going to visit uh, Thingwee's like, mother TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Yeah. Um, so Wuma is good here for comedy but but they're all um, I, I really I, I, I felt like almost like immensely bored by uh, when we were stuck here and, and sort of forget what its purpose was but 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 the last half hour, like, like when they switch out of that, they switch into plot a little bit better. Yeah. Because um, now they uh, are going to uh, push out uh, businessmen out of the town by uh, writing this almost impossible contract with the dye mill to produce red garment. But but they're going to clear out all the red pigment out of the town to make sure he doesn't deliver. And uh, then the uh, Manchus can sort of say, well, this is what the contract said. You didn't deliver. We now take your business, and 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 I thought like that that was a neat drive to uh, the narrative, like because the the townsfolk uh, they uh, managed to uh, actually get red pigment and and deliver on the red garment, and then uh, we get to experience the evil of the Manchus, but not through. Well, we we do get more dips into sexual violence, unfortunately, but we get to have the evil delivered in a violent fashion in a murderous fashion and i thought that that's the right button to push a lot actually because that that will lead to tragedy and hard kung fu violence which is a better sort of flow uh, to be honest uh, yeah because that, that was it it's there's like the two versions you kind of see of that character was it uh, wang can't pronounce that second name she yeah one share with the crazy wild hair and uh, yes, he, he's exactly. got this uh, chain uh, the, the weapon on chain on a chain <laughs> I know, it almost, it just looks like this little brass, I don't know. In one quick glance, I thought, that looked like an avocado he just hit him with. <laughs> well, it certainly does damage. Yes, uh, like the, the the effect where that 
one person the eye socket looked like it caved in yeah there's some really unpleasant violence here um which i thought wasn't effective as they take out all the people uh working in the dye mill because uh when they can't get their way they murder yeah that was it is like you've outsmarted us fuck it plan b murder because that's all the people in the dye factory is like we've done it we're celebrating but i think they knew <laughs> the celebration would be short-lived but i think that that's effective um for us to hate the man's shoes and therefore it's it it's it was entirely unnecessary i thought for for on to sort of get this let's go and rape again like no you don't you don't need to do that again you're in you're, you're in a different flow of the film now you're in uh, we don't need to have two buttons pushed at the same time evil 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 We've not all of a sudden started sympathizing for you or, or showing empathy. Like you you're still you're still going to get your comeuppance. Don't worry, we've not forgotten about you. But 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 again, I I, I think I, I I can break it down to like this novice trying out structure and uh, mm-hmm. it might have felt uh, nice and balanced in the edit uh, once they pushed it out for release. Uh, it certainly doesn't in uh, in in the end here. Um, but um, I, I'm glad it is here. Because we get to experience how flaws turn into great strengths, uh, very like a year after. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, if you go to Enter uh, the Fat Dragon, I, I think that that's an ex- exemplary like mixture of comedy and great kung fu and a and a warm homage to your friend. Really is because uh, you wouldn't expect Samo to be the best Bruce Lee impersonator amidst all those Bruce copies at the time, and and uh, he he didn't do it for a cheap gag. He was funny, but he did it to honor his dead friend. If looking at that film alone, Warriors Two works very well, as I said. But looking at that film alone, I think uh, directorial instincts and vision and gut instinct really kicked in in a way better, and uh, and he still delivered on the kung fu. Anyway, which he does for the final uh, brawl here. I mean, the, the the brawl that is killing all the uh, die mill workers, you can't really choreograph that big of a brawl well, so you need to sort of be a little slapdash with the choreography because there's so yeah. much going on. But there are great violent moments. But then the intensity of uh, the final brawl when it's Samo and Chen Xing uh, versus uh, you know Chen Sing first versus Wang She with the with the chain uh, weapon, then Samo versus Fung Hak On, and then another late breaking character. That flurry, that m- multiple simultaneous fighting that goes on, both involving hand to hand stuff but also weapons. I I think it's uh, it's a marvelous uh, marvelous ending because I'm weak for weapons choreography. That fluidity is so great to see, and it's captured so well. And it is one of my highlights. Uh, highlights watching the movie this time, um, not remembering everything from prior viewing, was this lovely shot of the entire hall in its simultaneous fights, and then a lot of killing at the same time. So, what here is uh, what this is how you need to end it in an exemplary manner and uh, in a violent manner. You know, Dean Sheck doesn't even get a goofy death. Dies. I know. That fucking dies. It. <laughs> it doesn't piss himself this time. No. <laughs> so yeah, in uh, in in general, uh, what did you think of the final uh, role as you get um, two against uh, a couple of uh, two two big guys, Samo and uh, Samo and Chen Sing? It, it was great. It was it was how it should end. Like if you're wanting your your late seventies, early eighties kung fu movie, you, you do want a, a giant brawl in like the bad guys' manner. And with the odds against them, because that's he had 
Samo and Jan Singh, and then it was just like your variety of bosses. Like you knew Fung Ha Kon was going to get, it, but then like his brother returned in the story, and he had his guards, and it was one of them was Mad Monkey Kung Fu Xiao Ho. Oh yeah, I did not spot him, but uh, but yeah, yeah, he he was one of the, like just the the guards with like the the rope around them and like the brown garments. He was one of the bodyguards, so. It was just kind of good to see them throw down. You, you know what about when it's com- when it comes to him? It says on Hong Kong movie database free rolls. <laughs> you know that's the life of a Hong Kong stunt person. But hey, yeah, FaceTime. Probably you know henchman number two, dye mill worker number four, guy in the market. I didn't even spot like Moss or Peter Chan Long or any of those guys. Uh, Lam Xinging I spotted for a bit. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I and a nice baby faced Eric Sang. But 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 you know, in terms of the violence that we get here, which is quite brutal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, does that serve the story to push for gory violence for you? Do do you think that's warranted, or do you think he goes over the top with the gory violence? No, I don't feel I, it was it was good. I felt like it didn't overplay it. As we said, like those shots where the Manchurian leader, that that weapon he had was devastating because that was that when people were hit with that, they were gone. Yeah, the face kind of caves in, as basic exactly. as the makeup is. It really looks like, oh, that took out, like... Yeah, there's a crater in this person's face now. <laughs> um, but no, I just felt like, right, we've, this is a darker-toned film. Like It's not as light as the other ones from Samuel's filmography. So sure, if, if we're pushing the sexual violence, I'm not going to be displeased if they push the actual violence of the martial arts. No, not at all, uh, because it's very satisfying, especially that sort of final coordinated move where throats and up here and eyes gouged, and then you leave, and then you leave. Audience satisfaction seeing that kind of uh, stuff exactly. Happens, so. If if the people, if the villains are this evil, their their demise needs to be as equal to as evil as they have been. But uh, so so it's a, it's a very satisfying conclusion, and uh, again, I wouldn't expect his. Uh, skill at choreography to be diminished just because he was directing but it's a tough job to take on like this dual duty but i, I just always knew that uh, he, would be, he would be able to deliver on the sequences because he'd been doing it for so many years and being so good at it and setting the tone for the 70s uh, i mean go, go back and watch hapkido mm. and those hard-hitting powerful basher type of films uh when he uh, choreographs like Angela Mao and appears himself in, in Hapkido. He has a supporting role in Hapkido. And, and, and coupled with that era's uh, loud sound effects, it's just just a treat to watch. Uh, watch Angela Mao like, just waiting to rip people's heads off. In one movie, she just beats Samo to a bloody pulp. I believe it's in Lady Whirlwind, where Samo appears uh, as well. And he just ends up literally as a bloody pulp by the end. And uh, it's just marvelous to see that uh, choreography. So going into Iron Fist and Monk, knowing that stuff, you you should feel uh, safe. But um, it's a it's a little iffy along the way in terms of how you deal with uh, good versus evil and just how how much you push uh, push for that. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm I'm a big hypocrite. I don't don't normally like I, I sort of gloss over sometimes like rape movies in uh, uh, rape sequences in like category three movies. Uh, it's not that you think it's five stars in other movies. It just sometimes you don't have anything to say other than, well, that's, well, well, Anthony Wong shoved chopsticks up a woman's vagina in that movie. Well, that happened. 
<laughs> but, but but I don't know. It it just uh, for for me um, in this movie, I, I was l- looking how the sort of structure felt a little bit. Uh, it was an ill fit, despite you can just sort of interpret what Samuel's intentions were. And I would never want it edited out, really. I'm, in a way, if we go back to the BBFC in the UK, I'm glad that they reduced their stance on sexual violence because it allows us to judge for ourselves. Yeah, that's a good point. And even, you know, animal cruelty. I don't know if you follow those kinds of movies, but uh, Cannibal Holocaust got to the point where only one uh, edit for animal cruelty remains in the UK, meaning that a lot of the animal cruelty is now allowed because BBFC actually now seemingly sits down and listens to the maker's intentions and what they did with the animals. In the case of Cannibal Holocaust, I think uh, the director, Rogero Diodato, actually sat down with uh, the BBFC to explain that these uh, animals were then um, they, they, uh, they were slaughtered for food. Yes, we did it on screen, but there is one really sloppy killing in that film where the animals is suffering so much. Like, like the, I think the reasoning was clean killings is okay, right? Mm-hmm. But there is one sequence in Cannibal Holocaust that will probably never get uh, an uncut showing in the UK. That is a, not a... It's a sloppy killing. And it's a close-up of a sloppy killing too. So, you know. ah, but yeah. but back in the day, like that stuff was out. So, so we've seen the BBFC change throughout the years like you probably watched vhs versions uh, of uh, bruce lee movies and shit where he walks into an alley and then walks out of it and what did you miss a big old nunchuck fight exactly <laughs> that is exactly how it happened so it seems like their um their um their reign is uh, means that we, we can judge for ourselves and uh, use the rating to our to our to our advantage and um have that as uh, the guiding force you know because I don't know what your kids are like if they would see Bruce Lee and nunchucks if they would run out in, into the garden immediately. Yeah, and try and fashion a pair. But they uh, they allow you uh, UK folks to uh, to to watch and uh, draw your own conclusions and make your own decisions. Have your kids uh, gone into your your uh, the same cinema as you, or they like other stuff? I, they definitely like other stuff. They've you know they're getting raised on the likes of Pixar and Disney, but. I occasionally get them watching something a little different. Um, like the guy is fat, but he can move really well. He's a kung fu hero. <laughs> He's relatable. I I have shown them sequences from I think Project A, like the brawl between the sailors and the police force, and uh, so normally he he recognises Jackie Chan quite a lot. And the the Lego Ninjago movie I think was like a gateway because he played. He voiced uh, Master Wu in that, I think his character was called. So I would just kind of say, oh, this guy, remember this guy is also in this movie. And I would try and show them some of the action sequences, but not like police story and crime story. It'd be more like Project A or Wheels on Meals, just kind of the more comical ones, like you and Bue jumping out, on expecting to land on the balcony that's no longer there and lands on his butt. Nice visual stuff that doesn't need... Uh subtitles you know exactly and yeah the the love of dumb monster movies as well i mean the your modern interpretations of the godzilla movies and then through youtube alone where you get to see uh, videos where they're discussing all the all the variations of godzilla throughout the years don't show them the first godzilla if you want to press children in the wake of it yeah (laughs) it's not Um, it's not a nice film (laughs) It just comes down to like, can I find a film uh, dubbed into English from the watch? So yeah, he's watched Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla two a couple of times. Yeah, they they got 
children's friendly and a lot more jo- jolly after the initial post-war uh, moods that were in the Godzilla films. Yeah, and we watched uh, Shin Godzilla once, and he still asks me questions to this day. Why did this happen? Why is that happening? Why, why, Dad? Why did we watch that one? <laughs> well, so, it sounds like there are always going to be um, a cinematic good time uh, in the Stuart Sutherland household, whether at home or at the cinema. So. Um... Yes, whether they want it or not. Exactly. Well, we I think we'll conclude the notes on this one. We're going to discuss Carry On Pickpocket, obviously. Uh, but uh, as for availability of The Iron Fisted Monk, if you are Blu-ray uh, region 3 or in the region B area, the best edition uh, currently is the Eureka set dubbed Free Films with Sammo Hung that contains Iron Fisted Monk, The Magnificent Butcher, and Eastern Condors, along with plenty of extras and um, commentaries. So... Uh, uh, it, it's uh, and it's not an expensive set just because uh, you got free movies. It's got uh, great value for money and um, all kinds of uh, audio options and, and all of that stuff. So um, uh, go uh, get it if uh, if you're interested and don't um, own it. And, and as I said, uh, it is uncut, but I think in in previous versions did not have uh, if they were uncut. So previous versions uh, did have a clearer view of. Uh, of a shot of the rape victim and uh, her uh, never regions, right? Uh, not full frontal nudity, but uh, they, they fogged out that area on uh, subsequent transfers. So if you bother with that millisecond or second, then go and be bothered by that. <laughs> you know, uh, I wouldn't have noticed it uh, had I not read like this still uh, still frame report uh, of it. Uh, uh, good value for money. Go get it if you're interested. We're going to take a short break and uh, we'll be back to discuss Carry On Pickpocket with uh, Sam Hung and uh, his, I was about to say uh, his pal. He was not. He, he was. Um, he was a co-star in the Prodigal Son, playing uh, playing the villain of that film. But uh, if you if you if you think about it in terms of Prodigal Son and Frankie Chan that I'm talking of, you know there was some nuance to his uh, to his villain. You know he had his. Um, good ethics you know he wasn't just this manchu guy looking to fight and rape or anything uh which is another plus point of the prodigal son that uh, you get some nuance and depth there go watch that again and, <laughs> and uh, in the break the 30 second break go watch prodigal son uh, but uh, we'll be back uh, in a little bit to discuss carry on pickpocket so sit tight and we'll be right back And welcome back and let's talk about Carry On Pickpocket from 1982. Like I haven't done any research on the popular, I suppose English, uh, Carry On films because I, I mean... Obviously, this title is riffing on the fact that there are carry-on films, but that's as far as I really care to do research because it's not like the carry-on films are like uh, have a kung fu element and uh, things like that. That they are farces, I gather. But uh, now, your generation are you at all into anything carry-on branded, or that's uh, that's your father and mother's uh, films? Yeah, aye. So that was definitely sort of like the type of rompy comedies uh, that my parents would have watch more than myself it was definitely like a seemed to be like a staple of sunday afternoon television 
like when you're sitting waiting for like the, the your big Sunday dinner roast, and there's always like a Carry On film playing on one of the channels, and it's like this doesn't make sense, or it's lame, or it's camp, and then you would switch over to like Ninja Turtles, and then you're sorted. Hong Kong cinema at least have. Um... I can name three movies that are called Carry On, but obviously I don't know if uh, anything, any connection uh, remains there of uh, anything uh, anything English cinema. There's just Carry On Hotel, which uh, Richard M is in. It's very funny. There's a movie called Carry On Dancing, which I don't remember too much of. Um, so there, there's those, but um, I, I think it's just one of those. Uh, there, 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 there's an American or English person working at uh, whatever studio, like Carry On, popular name abroad. Maybe we can catch that audience, like Carry On Pickpocket, that violent Samo movie that we have. Because that's it. From the looks of it, they had over thirty Carry On movies: Carry On England, Carry On Dick, Carry On Abroad. And of course, carry on pickpocket. We perhaps should just pause the recording and do the marathon, and then come back and like determine if that research made sense for carry on pickpocket uh, and uh, like watching all the UK ones. And <laughs> I think the answer would be no. Yeah, is carry on pickpocket like the equivalent? You know how in the James Bond series there was uh, another Casino Royale. Yeah, with Peter Sellers uh, and yes. other people. and it was kind of like an unofficial Bond movie, but it was based off of, I guess, uh, the Inflaming book, I assume. Yeah, but it was still cheeky, I, I believe. Yeah. It was a comedy. After Maybe that. this is what Carry On Pickpocket is to the, the Carry On franchise. Plot. Sweet, uh, simple and sweet from Hong Kong Movie Database of Summer Hong's Carry On Pickpocket. And Summer Hong directs and stars as Rice Pot. Frankie Chan plays Chimney. And the two work together with Master Kim, played by Elder Actor and one of those 500 plus filmography persons, uh, like, like Sekin. He had a lot of credits. Uh, Lao Huk Shun. They, they work with him and his daughter Anne. And uh, they're all a team of crack pickpockets as the opening shows. Uh, Richard M plays a cop who keeps running into the gang and Diane Yip plays Miss Ling, a cop who Simon takes a shine to and ends up helping her, her with a diamond robbery that she's investigating. So a couple of threads come together in a comedic and um, hard uh, punching and uh, kicking and violent Samo movie. A typical Hong Kong movie in many ways. This is Samo's first movie to be released after the seminal Prodigal Son, and uh, Carry On Pickpocket went on to make nearly 12 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office, uh, playing from March 20th to April, uh, uh, playing from end of March to 20th of April, 1982, pardon me. Uh, that number couldn't rival like the big earners of that year. Ace has got places uh, earned 26 million, but it's a decent showing, and it meshed up uh, nicely to companies such as Jackie Chan's Dragon Lord that... Uh, made uh, nearly 11 million Hong Kong dollars. Again, Carry On Pickpocket was 12. And the award-winning youth drama Lonely 15 earned 10.3 million, so it uh, outgrossed that. And at the second Hong Kong Film Awards, the film was given attention. Because it won. Samo Hung shared Best Act- the Best Actor Award that year with Carl Macca, who won his half, I guess, for the performance in Aces Go Places, uh, playing Inspector Kodo Jack. Yeah. And that year otherwise was uh, kind of rightly dominated by Anne Hoy's classic and harrowing drama, Both People. And that film won uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Screenplay, etc. A couple of other technical awards. Uh, but the best action design of that year went to Samo's film, The Prodigal Son, because that was eligible to enter the Hong Kong Film Awards at that time. So Samo was... Uh, uh, busy busy directing and starring uh, in this uh, stretch uh, but here he's making his sort of transition to modern action uh, filmmaking speaking of both people uh, that's by now like this uh, 
widely available uh, drama and uh, title because it entered the Criterion collection. I think it even had a UK release. So did that mean like uh, Stuart uh, saw like early Andy Lau performance? It's now available right there in HMV or at Amazon. So did you have an interest in both people or that's still off your radar? It still kind of is off my radar, but I've never looked, I've always known it as like an early Andy Lau movie or it definitely caught my attention when Criterion picked it up. So George it, Lamb entered the Criterion collection. Exactly. And it made me think, well, the film must have some substance to it then if it's, if it, because they don't just throw anything into the, the Criterion catalog. No, no. I mean, it got Armageddon. So, yeah, I, that's, I say that. And then I could hear the internet with several responses of films that probably shouldn't be there, but they are. It, it It's one of those, like, it's not hard to understand, like, the political, uh, turmoil of a setting but it's also a very harrowing film it's not easy to watch this like even if it starts with the liberation of uh, Saigon I believe there's still uh, some very harrowing sights there but it's excellent kind of uh, the culmination of Anne Hoy's like Vietnam trilogy and her filmmaking being elevated like it started on tv with an episode on below the lion rock then it was story of Viet, and now uh, this uh, film both people and, and I'm, I'm glad they picked this uh, it's the best out of uh, those two films i mentioned a co-star in this frankie chan he's also the co-star of uh, the prodigal son playing the other prodigal son but he's a multi-talent uh, practicing in fields such as Film composer, actor, and director, even action director, I believe, um, uh, but uh, certainly assistant director on many films. He had composed and perhaps picked music for films, meaning other composers' work on films such as the new one on Swordsman, The Duel, The Water Margin, King Boxer. And I mean, if we look at King Boxer, the theme from that theme, that's uh, not original music for King Boxer, it's from the Quincy Jones composed theme for the TV series Ironside. But ah. <laughs> uh, what, 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 like, an, uh, one great iconic thing to pick for King Boxer, and then like that goes all the way around to Quentin, I believe, because uh, he, yes. he he must have used it in. I want to say King King Bill, Kill Bill, at some point. I think I think that's it. Yes, uh, I I actually went and saw that in cinemas last weekend. Uh, funnily enough, Volume One, and yeah, there's it's sort of like it caps like a lot of flashbacks where. The blood spattered bride is watching all the people that assaulted her. And then when she cuts back to sorry, reality, it kind of wells up to the crescendo of that music from King Boxer and then snaps and then Kung Fu and violence happens. Was it like the full saga in the cinema or just volume one? Yeah, it was just just volume one. Uh, volume two was later in the week. So but this, it was like a Sunday night. So it was easy to kind of nip out and see that one. And I'll probably just watch the other one on Blu-ray just to kind of complete it for recent memory. Uh, but going back to Frankie here, I, I mentioned a couple of Shaw Brothers movies and that, that's what he did sort of consistently for Shaw Brothers in this capacity. But uh, eventually he would work for Sam Hong doing music for Knockabout. He would work for Choi Hark doing music for The Butterfly Murders, his first film. And even for Jackie Chan in that capacity for the young master. He will, of course, be fondly remembered. Uh, and maybe most of us sort of was aware or became um, like a made aware of him as Frankie Chan, like that, that that's the face, that's Frankie Chan, because he played the other prodigal son in Sam Hung's The Prodigal Son, and uh, he, he got this fantastic showcase as a martial artist, uh, but, but it was really a memorable role, because he wasn't an all-out bad guy. He, there were other forces above him, puppeteering matters and uh, killing left and right, and that wasn't his doing. 
he was into what he was into to explore other person's martial arts. It's simple, but it adds nuance to a martial arts film that uh, the final fight isn't about um, taking revenge on the bad guy, but even though Yum Yu is in mourning by that point and needs to direct the element of vengeance towards someone, it isn't all out uh, this uh, tropey martial arts film uh, where the, those lines are a little bit more blurred, which I like very, very much. One of those, uh, I still stand by that protocol, and I don't find any faults with it. His production uh, company, Frankie Chance, uh, always good film is what we see at the top of this film. Always good film, well, live up to that. They produce Carry On Pickpocket, so that, that's why Frankie has a producing credit here and uh, his uh, partner Guy Lai. And uh, Frankie has also directed uh, 21 films. Uh, the action films are those that stand out and uh, the films that uh, people uh, remember. Burning Ambition, Outlaw Brothers, but uh, he also had films like The Good, The Bad and The Beauty. The quite long wuxia film of Warrior's Tragedy and uh, Criminal Hunter. I mentioned, by the way, that he's uh, directed like uh, portions of films and that's kind of documented, I think, both in picture form and uh, through stories uh, told to us. So he directed portions of Armor of God 2 and Drunken Master 2. And mm. it, it would make sense on Armor of God 2, a big project, escalating budget, and, and the star is the director and presumably action director too. So you would need an, an AD there in place or maybe someone to um, simply direct portions uh, for you when you're busy elsewhere. And, uh, and there's a picture of Frankie Chan of a set of uh, Drunken Master 2 as well. So I'm thinking uh, he was there to either assist Jackie once La Garland left, or he was there anyway. So that I can't say for uh, for sure. But uh, he, he was only some, someone Jackie trusted to have around. I think he did like work on Thunderbolt as well. So, uh, so he was around to work on behind the scenes for the sake of efficiency. Uh, one of the later films that Frankie did was the 14th Amazons update, Legendary Amazons from 2011. I have not seen that, so I don't know if it's a true and faithful remake of the classic female-led Shaw Brothers film, The 14th Amazon. But uh, it certainly deals with a story surrounding the Yang family of that film. But um, I, I know it wasn't that well received. It was kind of a comeback vehicle for Cecilia Chung. After the whole uh, Edison Chan photo scandal and all of that. Oh, so this right. is going way back, Stuart. Yeah. Yeah, back to the, the magnificent trio of podcast and fire recording days. Yeah, when, when that was hot news indeed. So Yes. And was like, oh, should we talk about it? This is Should we look is... at the pictures? We didn't, by the way. <laughs> Not together, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen the pictures <laughs> since then, accidentally. You wonder why Mike's vanished off the face of the air. <laughs> <laughs> he saw something he shouldn't have. He saw the forbidden photos. He went after Nicholas and uh, and uh, Edison or Nicholas, whoever harmed Miss Chung. So anyway, that uh, makes us old when we talk about the Edison Chen photo scandal. But hey, yeah. that, that's what it is. Off note, by the way, going all the way back to Frankie composing and also putting film uh, music in films from other places. Carry On Pickpocket does have an actual theme song composed for the film. You can kind of tell, obviously, it's in Cantonese, but it, it, it sounds like this Sam Hoy ditty. Uh, but it is composed by Frankie and sung by Bennett Pang of The Winners fame. He played lead guitar in The Winners, that band with uh, Kenny B and Alan Tam. That is uh, spoofed at the beginning of Armor of God, um, where, yeah. where Jackie Chan plays tambourine. And what I didn't know before doing research for that commentary was that that band existed in a previous incarnation, as the losers. So that wasn't Jackie's idea. They were sort of spoofing themselves and going back to... Ah, uh, right. Yeah. But the song they sing in Armor of God, that L-O-V-E, love, 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 love. 
that sounds like a parody, but it, I also found out in research, no, it exists. The winners recorded a, recorded a song called Love. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's uh, that's what research is for: finding out cool things to um, to enhance uh, enhance your own life. So that's carry on pickpockets uh, sort of background info for you. Uh, let's uh, throw over to Stu for a little quick opinion of uh, carry on pickpocket that went a couple of different places, didn't it? Yeah, ah, that's a, a, a totally flip, like tonally flip flopped back and forward. But it it was one of these ones where I was kind of that excited to watch. To me, is a, a new Samo Hung movie. I, I had never seen Carry On Pickpocket. And it was always one of those Media Asia DVDs I was meaning to buy, and I just never got there. Or Fortune Star, I can't remember. But it's whichever one's had the, that airbrushed cover, where there's def- several scenes fading in and out. And then it'll be a reversible sleeve with more screenshots of the film. That's the one I have, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got the, the Mr. Vampire franchise saga, of those ones so it's always cool to look at those covers again and that's my box set that's standard definition box set that i want yeah <laughs> or, or craft it for myself <laughs> yeah yeah those budget releases were good for me uh, back in the day because literally they were budget releases so let's pick that pick that pick that well carrying pickpocket let's pick that yeah exactly if you're doing like a, a bulk buy off of a uh, yes asia and you're just needing to fill out an order or, or round it up to the closest uh, uh, next number or you're in a sale those things were great fillers because they were cheap and you didn't know whether it was hit or miss <clears throat> yeah everything for this film having the the open, like, sort of like the theme song that will be stuck in your head all week to like the great Samo action getting to see another side of Frankie Chan it's, all, it's almost like one of those roles you're watching is like ah man I guess you and Bue was busy this week well, he worked on the film, actually. He, he was there, one of the action directors, so he was busy doing action. Ah, so, <laughs> and that's it. But it just, like, it just made me more impressed with, like, Frankie Chan, just to kind of see that he could take, like, fill the boots of what would look like your standard Yin Bu role. And Frankie just does it perfectly. Yeah, he had, like, a judo background or something like that. So he wasn't uh, totally uh going in like blank doing action uh, obviously he's he's always been doubled to a degree even here yeah but obviously when you go back to prodigal son that a lot of that is him and lam on that on that bridge thing uh, yeah. go, going at each other so um uh, so he had, he had a foundation but the, the tonal shifts but by now they don't bother you even though this really goes dark at points yes i, I definitely like in the last 10 15 minutes it gets surprising surprisingly violent but the sort of almost carefree story of the opening scenes of their little pickpocket uh, montage with their training dummy to then going out in the town and kind of carrying out the act, which just gave me flashbacks of Sparrow because that happened yeah, to be yeah. the film I saw first, especially with like the the razor blades tucked in with it in their mouths. Don't be surprised if that's what Johnny was partially Johnny Toe was partially. Um, Echoing, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, that, that movie is all like this love letter to French uh, cinema, uh, but also making fun of it. Uh, there's a scene in Sparrow where they slowly like light a cigarette and then it kind of dies in a goofy way, that scene. Like it's mm-hmm. so suave, like Sammy, I'm smoking a cigarette and then it's a little gag at the end of it. So I'm thinking he's having fun with with uh, those uh, conventions. So, but uh, yeah, don't be surprised. He's no dummy, uh, Johnny Toe. So, uh, and, and he likes a bit of uh, fun. But but you're right. Like this, uh, 
like it, it, for me it is a mix of this enjoyable like pickpocket disco and bun dancing stuff which we'll get to have to do some research on that as well um, and on the never thing. never let uh, chin san deliver food to your table ever never order soup at a nightclub sam he, he goes with the beats Let's just say yes. that Chin Yutsang, he, he, he likes the disco beats, but all that's like um, that mixture of uh, pickpocket, disco, band dancing stuff, and then Samo's fine transition to making modern action, but still with his trademark power and speed. That makes for a good, entertaining time. And, you know, film fans might make a case for this movie actually having way too wild tonal shifts because it becomes quite gory by the end but i have my fears as to why and also i don't mind i'm just kind of numb to it but i also find it charming that this is audience friendly do it no one minds this yeah exactly throwing a, sing, throwing a karaoke singing number or like for whatever <laughs> sing one of frankie's songs like they don't fucking care mm-hmm. because that would just add enjoyment even little gags where like the there was like a uh, a sit down meeting between like Frankie Chan's character and one of the other low level gangsters. Yeah, that could just be two people sat at a table talking. End of scene. But no, it becomes this almost little game where the gangster won't sit still. He's constantly moving, but his underlings are constantly moving a deck chair for him, so he's always got a seat to sit on. He always expects it as well. Like he, aye, this boy's never gonna fall on his arse. There's always his guys there. They've got his back. Well, that's staging for you, Stuart, because um, that that requires staging of note, and you you really should admire that choreographers who ha- who have who have done like violence in the past and uh, march- and uh, and period films in the past go into this modern film and still kind of clinch the staging because that pickpocket simulator at the beginning with the mannequin that uh, Frankie yeah. and Sam have in their apartment, which is a great uh, recurring gag. It leads to that staging with the, them doing the pickpocket out um, out and about and all the handoffs mm-hmm. and that choreography. And it really is uh, n- neat looking with the slow motion and the smooth, smooth operation that this pickpocket uh, uh, scam operation is. And uh, it, it might, though, actually, even though it's not a, a character piece, you, you sometimes think to yourself, wait a minute. He robs people, and he's likable. I'm not sure that fits. Like, like, what are we supposed to think of Samo? Is he Robin Hood? Is this what what we've just supposed to feel? It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, like he's definitely not stealing from the rich. But anyone with a handbag or a wallet, fair game. But it, it, it is enjoyable staging, and we might as well touch upon the 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 disco scene uh, that that has a couple of elements uh, to discuss because it uh, reveals and proves uh, Samus transition to modern day action quite well and modern day uh, scenarios so i i've seen those disco lights configuration thingies um those square configuration thingies in a couple of yeah. films so either it's popular disco dance in decor or a location that filmmakers used uh, a lot in the early 80s uh, because i've seen that in big or small films uh, mm-hmm. so that, that was like bing uh, drink when you see the disco uh, disco dance uh, decor again so what what we're doing here in the movie is that we, we don't know too much about the characters because it's more like work by day party at night and uh, yeah. and, and uh, so that's the thread samo is following and whether he's a bit of a man child or not because what because of what he wears <laughs> uh, is up in the air i mean you 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 get sort of like well what what is he i mean he's a, is he an ass kicking man child or that's just what he picks because he thinks that 
fits. I don't know. But what is he wearing? At, uh... is, is it leftover stock from, from Heart of the Dragon? What are we doing here? <laughs> exactly. So, well, well, in reverse, though, because that's later. That come that's, after? Yeah, yeah. Ah, son of a bitch. Okay, cut that, cut that, cut that. Cut that, cut that, cut that. Uh, what is he wearing at the, to, to the disco dancing scene, Stuart? Yeah, it is a Mickey, a very shiny Mickey Mouse jumper that is probably very flammable. <laughs> like don't order any like hot uh, hot drinks uh, where they yeah, set the so, thing on fire for you yes i no no flaming shots of uh tequila for samo please <laughs> and uh it, you know it, it's it's that entertaining contrast to frankie's more suave uh cool guy i suppose uh but it's an entertaining visual to see samo in that uh because it looks funny i, I don't think it looks like uh cool early 80s modern it's a little bit of a goof because uh, it fits him uh, in this case whether he's a man child or not but it's the point is also it's enjoyable to see Samo come out of the martial arts film and attempt modern energy and then eventually modern action so um, mm-hmm. uh, did you know beforehand because I didn't that Samo's bun dance to impress Diana Yip was from somewhere else yes Mostly because I, I am also a, a fan of like Charlie Chaplin silent films and Gold Rush being one of my particular favourites. Um, so yes, that is where I've seen the the bun dance before. So and he does really well. Like it's I think there's a skill to it. Like anyone can stick two forks into two bread rolls and pretend they're a little set of dancing legs. But it's almost like Sam will nail it. Whereas like yeah, he could do a couple kicks, but he was doing the whole routine. And it was like a nice, small, smooth, fluid motion where, yeah, like Samuel doesn't do anything half-arsed. He really does put the time and effort into making it an impressive piece. It really looked like, I mean, I just watched a little bit of the scene just to sort of confirm what, what Charlie Chaplin movie is that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and it, like the, the way Samuel is moving it he really look it really looks like he uh he probably didn't have a vhs there to sort of like copy the choreography but it looks like he had it had, had it down it's not yeah. uh, dissimilar when charlie starts it really looks like the movement Samuel is doing as well you know there it's not it's not it is a completely different staging but with the only similarity being the buttons um, um i don't know the context in gold rush if he's uh trying to impress uh, a, a romantic interest yeah, he's at a, a, like a dining table with, with some girls and a girl he is trying to impress. He does the same act as an icebreaker. Well, it, well, why not pull from the best, you know? And uh, so, so, so some people, uh, I look back at some, on some comments when I posted the, the, the gif or the gif of uh, that scene where was, was someone said, well, I, I would rather see Samo paying homage to Charlie Chaps." Charlie Chaplin then seeing Dean Sheck do it because Dean Sheck starred in Laughing Times, which is where, where he plays Charlie Chaplin, which is an early John Woo movie, right? Ah. So, but it's all Dean Sheck as Charlie Chaplin, so for a full movie. Jesus. Yeah, I don't remember too much about it, and maybe that says everything, or maybe I liked it a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. One of those things. Hey, uh, it's a long sequence at the disco, disco, so the disco dancing that Samo does with Diana Yip. Is a little bit of precursor to their old-timey dance number and choreography together in the old versus Bumbo, where they do a little, I suppose, little La La Land, uh, more excessive, more elaborate 
a piece of uh, choreography together, a really old-timey dance number. Here they do a little bit of disco dancing, early 80s style. But if you watch the old versus the owl versus Bumbo, him and George, him and George Lamb and Michelle Yeoh in her first film, that that would be a, that it's a delightful piece of uh, dance choreography that uh, Samu does with Diani. So, um, uh, and uh, speaking of her, she's. Uh, like uh, this v- veteran and award-winning actress by now, both for comedic and dramatic roles. Uh, like uh, she's in uh, the Shaw Brothers drama, My Name Ain't Susie, which is a late stages Shaw Brothers film. Anthony Wong is in it as Anthony Perry. It's his first film. So he ha- had not changed his uh, name to Wong for film purposes. But uh, Diani uh, was nominated for Fight Back to School 2, obviously a Stephen Chow comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Da- Dances with Dragon, which I think is an Andy Lau film. Spiritual Love with Chai Fat, but de- then she won um, awards for multiple dramas for, speaking of Anne Hoy. Um, I don't know if you've seen um, 2011's A Simple Life with her and Andy Lau, uh, where he becomes her primary caretaker in a very, very simple, very understated and uh, natural drama where where she won um, an award for that. Uh, a lot of directors cameo in the film because I, f- I believe Andy's character works in the industry. So I think like Samu appears in, as himself and Choi Hak appears as himself in A Simple Life. But that's one of Diane's uh, award-winning performances. And also Our Time Will Come for um, for Anne Hoy, a bit of a, a wartime drama that she was in. Uh, but, you know, we you, you know Samu and how that action feels and when it kicks in it's something to behold because it's always powerful it's always complex and what happens like to, to it, 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 it does it become better does it become worse or is it as good as ever when you see Samo do action choreography in a modern setting in this case during the disco sequence like uh, how does that uh, come off to you I, I didn't have a problem with it at all I mean I was blown away with like at first like the the dance sequence where it's like right it kind of shows that he isn't just like a one-trick pony uh, obviously i think everyone's well aware of his peak and opera background so of course it's a little bit of ballroom dancing should be like a walk in the park but then with the action sequences i, I always feel it just translates really well it could be it's, it's it, i would say timeless the only thing that changes is is the setting i like to imagine yeah, like there, there wouldn't there wouldn't be a Mickey Mouse T-shirt or a jumper or whatever in in another film. So that's uh, how this dates and ages. But you're right. Yes, um, exactly. That this, I'm also amazed by. Maybe I said it in uh, in the Iron Fisted Monkey review, but I'm also amazed by Samos' quick, fast takedowns and the sweeps be, being so cool and powerful, and it kicks off like crazy fast. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's no build up when it starts is often running quite often and i so i i like that a lot and and, and mm-hmm. you know by now therefore in fights the character is assertive he's not this uh, uh man child or shy guy i mean he's shy in romance but he's assertive as a fighter so okay we we, we got that so that's that's uh the the setup and how, how the, the boys uh get into get into trouble uh, if anyone is a man child it's uh, richard mm's character 
I mean, he's comedic gold, man, and I love that uh, he, he's got uh, James Chen and his, in, as his superior. So yes. I suppose that was a nice surprise for you. That uh, definitely that to see James Chen uh, play no, not playing a, a bad guy in a modern film for once. It seems yeah, like just a the, cranky boss, exactly. you know, like all police chiefs. So, but but why Richard is a man child cop, and well, I was dying laughing. Uh, they they're doing a little bit of a stakeout in a toy store, and he's distracted by the toys, and then starts making fart noises, and he laughs into the speaker system of a toy that is connected to the speaker system in in the store. But his physical demeanor and his expressions and his the physical handling of something like that, but his physical handling in general, w- without being a prop comedian yeah, necessarily, but it's a surefire way to amuse, and he's as good as ever here as well as the completely uh, inadequate uh, cop. Uh, you know, you know, you know, he's not the hardball cop. Exactly, he's he's the, the cowboy cop. Yes, right, with the pop gun and the the matching hats. So, so uh, is that one of those things that, that where Richard he never really disappoints and this this exactly. includes that? Exactly. It, it was always nice to see Richard and pop up in a film, and even just to see him being like really gullible as well. Like where it, he, he's put aside, was it Paul Wong as like the, the new start, and Richard's in charge of him, but he gets given advice from Paul about the gun holster, saying yes. <laughs> you got to be worried in case it misfires and, and where's it going to shoot, and he's like, oh. That he doesn't want to shoot into his ass or his hip or, or or worse, so he takes advice from the new start and straps it to his ankle. And of course, once James Tien notices that, he just just mocks him in front of all his superior, well, his colleagues, and they're just like, "Oh, come on, you're you're the what's the chief inspector?" See, I love how he repeats it in English several times. He's a bit thick. Let's just say, and and not not in the thirsty way, but he's a bit dim, like especially that. And then when they were taking a statement from Samuel in the later half of the film, and Paul's gathering all of his uh, personal information for the statement, and Richard starts listing off his own details, his own home address, <laughs> his own job title. <laughs> is that where you live? No, him. <laughs> you know, it, it it really is funny because uh, one, there's there's a basic enough plot and clarity within it. A couple of threads may make up this uh, plot plus some action. That's fine. But the mm-hmm. comedy isn't excessively broad either, which can tend to muddy waters. The waters when even dealing with a simple plot, but it's really nicely underplayed, quite amusing. And uh, Richard has never really been that broad performer where he goes, you know. You know, his level wasn't Dean Sheck's level, you know what I mean, in terms of yeah. broad and excessive. He, he, he underplayed it uh, probably by choice, I would gather, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, that was his comedic uh, style, and that's why he worked a lot better in the uh, in the Lucky Stars films for me. Yeah. Uh, like, I have my problems with those films because it's a running gag throughout a couple of films about being lecherous, really. But, but, but Richard has always been good at that. There's a scene out of all things, out of all movies that I remember, out of ghost punting, which is that Lucky right. Stars film that isn't that widely available, and re- and there, there is a sequence where they all sort of do their um, do their wooing in different ways. Richard just walks up to a woman, stands there, starts smiling, doesn't say anything, and then I think uh, the scene is quite quickly over because that isn't working. 
it, it's almost uh, like uh, that, that woeful wooing that Steve Carell's character tries to do in Anchorman. He doesn't know. He just goes uh, up like, uh, yeah. I would like to extend an invitation to the pants party. But uh, I, I remember that that bit out of ghost punting where Richard just still is on point. Uh, Even Richard's car is goofy. Like just the, the the petrol station at the start, like it closes one door and then the boot pops open and they shut that and then the, the front lid opens up and you knew right away what type of character Richard was going to be portraying in this movie. If this is his car, he's going to be just as bad as the car. And then <laughs> to see it getting written off seconds later. It, it's all amusing. Uh, it's all enjoyable. Uh, but, you know, if, if I were to sort of direct some criticism, it's not much of a romance uh, between Samo and Deanna. It's quite uh, fast-tracked, to be honest. Uh, it's it's amusing and it's good that she seems to be the proactive character because she, it seems like she takes him to a love motel. When yes. when she asks to go to Kowloon Tong, there's a little um, uh, audio cue on the soundtrack. It may as well be like a like a Boeing spring. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what it probably means is, well, that's an area where where you go if you want to find a adultery happens. In, indeed, and uh, and and cut to the sex has happened and Samu is in bed and it seems like she's the um, proactive uh, character so but it's all fast-tracked and fluffy and uh, it's an action comedy package so it's fine but uh, there, there's no time really to build fantastic chemistry great actors but and they're good enough for the beats that we do get but don't expect this uh, romantic sidetrack that's gonna engage or anything and I think they drop it fairly quickly when it's uh, when he uh, when it there's more focus on her investigation of the diamond robbers and all of that so some highlights uh, going back to Richard I love the scene where he inspects the apartment of Samo and Frankie's thinking he found gold when he comes upon the pickpocket mannequin that they used for training and then he takes out a wallet that's stuffed in the pocket of uh, oh, the mannequin doing that finger gesture well, 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 well what happens I don't remember that but what, what happens he opens up the wallet and there's a picture of Samo and Frankie doing uh, like like a, a rude gesture or faces, and you hear on the soundtrack, Wah! yeah, <laughs> you know that, that they they essentially you know do ra- do raspberries or something like that because they know they they sort of knew that uh, who they're dealing with. So Richard is so good at playing this character who never gets the upper hand. Mm-hmm. He's always the goof, and uh, he really does you know you you forget that Samo is actually the director as well because it's all uh, nice and to follow the performance but what he, he does decently at staging all of this like he doesn't want Richard to take the cake boxes after he's uh, searched the apartment because there's money in the cakes within the cake boxes so, mm-hmm. so Samo does decently in terms of how he needs to avoid those uh, getting uh, taken by Richard because they need to deliver money to uh, to the rival gang and all of that. So uh, so, so some nice comedic uh, staging. And, and, and by the way, before we talk a little bit about the junkyard fight, I guess, the continual business with the razor blade in the mouths that they're hidden and then Samo or Frankie reveals that they have those and they use it to cut open pockets freaks me the hell out. Yes, uh, it does not look safe at all. Like, where where is the safe place that you you've tucked a razor blade and just carry it about in your person, like in your mouth? What happens if you like sneeze and just tear the inside of your mouth? Kind of gives me the willies to it. It really does. Yep. Uh, one of those, I can take extreme gore on film, but not when there's some sort of pending doom <laughs> in your mouth that way. <laughs> so. Always very jarring to suddenly see a razor blade appear on someone's tongue. 
Uh, and moving through the sequences again. I, I mean, it's kind of the same notes, I guess, on the junk junkyard uh, fight where they arrive with all the um, cake boxes to be, to deliver. How all of this kicks off is just terrific. Yeah, like these lightning fast first punches and kicks. Uh, There's big uh, jump double kick that he likes to throw out in films. Like, that always looks very powerful. There's probably wire yanks here because people fly for miles it looks like but even when it's 30 seconds of this do it it's not a long sequence it's kind of mesmerizing Samo and the team he has around him including Yun Biu and Lam Ching Ying I believe that, that power really never fails to uh, make its statement I mean a few things that it doesn't do normally I suppose and uh, it, it's a nice looking widescreen sequence but it's over fairly quickly and uh, it didn't re- I didn't really log uh, many 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 memorable facets of the whole dirt bike bike car chase sequence because they kind of they, they kind of come upon this dirt bike race as Frankie is fleeing from uh, persons who are in the car. Looks great in widescreen. There's a lot of people there. At one point, Frankie's character, i.e. his stuntman, is going uh, against traffic. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, it looks great, but it's not it's not uh, that impressive way it lingers, you know, uh, afterwards. Yeah, it's definitely one way to get lost in the crowd. Exactly. And, and it, it looked like it would be easy to uh, to be lost in the crowd there and hurt, if not... Uh, choreographed one if that was like put on paper and presented like the produ- if i was producing this movie and it says right we need about 100 extras 100 motorbikes and a big open space i'd be like ah oh, really can't he just escape in a taxi <laughs> do, do we need 100 motorcycles and people to ride them <laughs> it just looks like a lot to to escape who was escaping was it peter chan no who was pursuing them it was just another one of the gang i'm sure they're, they're there's a less expensive way to do it, guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all about sometimes trying to see if you can land a sequence like that. I don't think uh, that was the most memorable stuff. Uh, what he need, needed to stick to was what he did stick to, where the various fight scenes as the danger is a little bit elevated, as we see more of our favorite um, stuntmen and uh, henchmen take down our uh, characters uh, quite uh, hard and... Uh, and fast, you know, uh, before the, f- the end fight, Samu does like a full follow through slap takedown of Dick Way. You know, one of those like uh, he follows through like a motherfucker. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, like, that, that's not a small slap and a big fall. That's a yeah. big slap and a big fall. So some further notes before we get to the finale, I guess um, there's a whole sequence where Samu is uh, in need of uh, getting information from his master. So they craft fake peril to get this information out of him including faking the death of his daughter of master kim's daughter i found that sequence to be rather good because he does really create that that tension part of it is goofy because the 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 like two meters the two and a half meter uh western giant that they got yes. uh, it seems like uh, all he knows is like uh raping and killing <laughs> <laughs> yes it does seem a little bit simple it was nice to see because uh, there is genuine tension here where you think like maybe they're going too far because uh, he's not giving it he's not giving it to them the old the old man is not breaking i know and even to the point where they carry out the first half of of the threats and then it comes to the second half and then he gives up the information yeah not not after his daughter is supposedly dies exactly he was still holding out it's like well okay my daughter's gone but i've still got the diamonds 
my, my daughter's gone and she was raped beforehand, but that was also staged. Oh, yeah, because that's it. She was all beaten and scratched. And yeah, so not like any normal person or parent when their child is in mortal danger. No, like this is obviously the pickpockets way of life where it's like, yep, I could I could always make more children. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm old, but uh, the, the equipment might still work. Exactly. Wow. It goes through, that's like a tonal shift, but it's a fake one. But the true tonal shift. The finale on the old abandoned ship. Let's just, we, we discussed it, I suppose, but let, let, let's just ask it for the sake of context. Does it get too dark for you? It's strange because I was really put off with the sound design of this scene. Because, yes, they're on a ship and they're running around on the ship, but the, the footsteps, I guess the sound design must have just been someone with a wooden spoon tapping on a pot. Because they were just like, it's like the gag from Monty Python with the horses and they're just clapping the coconuts so i just felt like they were doing that but they're all running about on a ship and they're just somebody just going this that bit was making me giggle but then obviously when our, our little pickpocketing group are fighting off these gangsters and they're all individually having their own struggles and when Anne's character is having to fight off a bad guy and axe wielding bad guys i should say it was almost like she was going to get uh, raped properly this time rather than staging it earlier she manages to fight him off and she just grabs his just that moment of grabbing the axe and hitting him and my god whoever the stagehand like i don't know with a super soaker full of bright red blood just blasted her in the face that was like the sit-up moment going oh okay there's a little cheeky flash carry on pickaxe <laughs> exactly like right okay she she flashed her bra this is We've seen that tactic used in films. I'm looking at you, Ninja and the Dragon's Den. I saw, I saw that recently. I was like, yep, that gag. <laughs> so I guess that's one way to distract your attacker. But Jesus Christ, like just... It's surprising because uh, she, she gets like a full blood bag in, in, into her face. Yes. Which, which isn't normally Samo's... Uh, Tech. And I, I have some theories why this is a little bit more violent than just hard-hitting and impactful, which it certainly is. But uh, I'll wait for that, because, because the finale on the ship is, is kind of a classic uh, ending. Uh, it adds shotgun gunplay for impact as well. You either get to lose your audience, I suppose, with any tone or shift, but certainly when the gory moments uh, happen here, and, and there are a couple of them, it, it, it might be a case for, well, you had me up until when that happened you know I, well i feel it, it's that brief where it, it yes it, it shocks you but it's not enough to go oh no i like too far but even like when you get a similar sequence with it was i think it was frankie chan and it's big spanner little spanner where they're there like, one's got two and he picks up another one that looks small and then the perspective changes and it's like oh that that's a giant tool and you see that getting soaked in blood as well I, I didn't spot, I remember the scene, but what I spotted afterwards, well, I mean, I mean uh, Frankie knocks him out, we, we see that, but what I spotted afterwards was that, that the spanner is like covered with blood. And, and I'm thinking like, was that scene so bloody or do we actually have a case of uh, a little moment being cut from the film here? Possibly. And I mean, even Dickway's exit is a slightly traumatizing, just even to the point where like he hits his head on the deck. And the blood runs out and, and like almost like a seizure kicks in. It's like, bloody hell. 
And you know what? I might as well state my theory here again. This is based on absolutely nothing. Yes, so go for it. I'm thinking that this sequence has a little bit of Frankie Chan influence on it. Right. And I'm saying that because I've seen the eleva- his elevated violence uh, out of nowhere kind of violence in movies that are a little bit light and then action and, uh, and a little bit dark. Sometimes he elevates his gory violence. And uh, it is jarring. Now, he isn't listed as like the assistant director or anything. He's the producer and he's the star composer. But I'm thinking, I, I haven't seen Samo push the envelope that hard in films uh, and, and with, with these gory uh, uh, gory effects and gory aftermaths. There's even a little, uh, some pieces of that in the finale of The Prodigal Son where Frank is big, like big. Uh, wound on his head is punished yeah. and you see blood running down his face I mean who knows if uh, Samuel allowed for Frankie's input this is all a theory so I'm not saying that this was the case it just felt like if this was Samuel's voice in terms of like I'm gonna try out gory moments it really didn't run through the 80s as such where you had powerful action within my lucky stars and then someone getting sprayed with blood it, it seems a little bit foreign to Samo's cinema. So my, my theory is that Frankie had some input that Samo okayed. And that's why we get Anne's uh, killing spree. Which actually turns a little bit darkly comedic because she kills again. And, you know, she, she shoots someone with a shotgun. So uh, uh, on it goes. And then she gets slapped down by Dick Way. So if you are doing the Samo Hung slaps uh, women in films in... Um, in drinking game, then uh, yep, this happens because the, the the flashing of the cleavage doesn't work on Dick Way, so he just slaps her down. So it's uh, it's not nice, but uh, Samo has said that well, I'm an equal opportunist sort of punishing force. You know, women, men, dogs, children, whatever. I'll, <laughs> but yeah, it is a little bit noticeable when uh, when uh, women are concerned. But but hey, at least we get uh, a female cast member um, engaged in the action finale and all of that. So. Um, it's all good, man. I mean, he's he's it's that trademark powerful stuff. Uh, hard versus you know hard versus hard opponents. You, you know Samuel versus Dick Way, and it works very well uh, for me. And it's a nice first uh, transition into modern action. That would then continue with the with, with winners and sinners and all of that. And Samuel riding that high throughout the eighties. So um, very much enjoyable, uh, jarring perhaps for. A very fresh viewer of Hong Kong cinema because it turns that powerful and gory. But uh, I found it uh, quite enjoyable. Classic, perhaps not, but I really don't find that many faults because I thought the execution all around in the various sequences that requires quite careful staging, whether the pickpocket fights, uh, the, the pickpocket uh, scenes or the fights themselves. That's all good. That's all high standard. So, uh, Nothing really to complain complain about. And a little bit funny at times as well. Uh, you know, you mentioned Chin Yut Sang as the, as a waiter who goes with the beats of the disco uh, when that is not good when he's carrying a soup order. He, he needs to go go do that during the slow songs mm-hmm. and not uh, during uh, during the hits of the day. That has a little bit a little bit of joyful joyful beat to it. So we see Chin Yut Sang again, James Chan, Peter Chan Long in a funky hat. Wu Ma at the airport trying to take a photo with his girlfriend towards the end. So a couple of um, Sammo Hung style cameos that we get in most movies around this time. So all good. So going to conclude my notes uh, right there. Uh, so anything else you want to say or summarize in any other way? No, no, definitely. I 
would be one of those films I suggest to, to people who are fans of Samuel Hung and you haven't had the chance to tick that one off your, your bucket list of Samuel movies. Definitely, if you have an opportunity to see it, take it. It is a nice, breezy 90, 95 minutes. It is nice to see the chemistry between Samuel and Frankie Chan on screen. So The only thing, by the way, I forgot, forgot to say this. I, for a while, I thought like Frankie went kind of missing from the film. They didn't find many moments to make him stand out as much as Samo did. Yeah. Uh, like, like a stretch there in the middle where I thought Frankie was a little bit anonymous, but uh, obviously they do participate to a great deal, both of them, and get their moments. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, it, it was a little, little thing I bumped on every now and again. But no, I, I don't have really any bad things to say about it other than that, that damn theme song will be stuck in my head. Well, r- rip it from the thing I sent you and then you can no. p- put it nope. on your device. Nope, <laughs> nah. We're good. That's fine. Well, well, it wasn't nominated that year, that song, because that, that, that was the year of Aces Go Places and obviously the, uh, ah. the Aces Go Places theme song that you will have in your head as well for good reason. don't. Stop that. No e worms today. I, I didn't do a whistling because I'm not good at whistling necessarily. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, as for availability of Carry On Pickpocket, it has it has shown up on home video through uh, Laserdisc releases, Megastar and Joy Sales, and Delta Mac DVD reissues. Uh, so it's it, it's been out there a couple of times, but no current editions in um, HD seems to exist. Uh, I, I usually do like a Google image search of these things because um, uh, many movies are on like Chinese streaming, but uh, I couldn't find anything necessarily. And uh, secondhand prices for like the Joy Sales edition that I got uh, range from like 25 to 50 US dollars across the various uh, markets, whether eBay or Amazon. So yeah, keep an eye out for something reasonably priced, I suppose. Um, but uh, maybe we'll get a reissue in Hong Kong uh, sometime soon. Doubt this will be like a Eureka 88 title. It's a little bit too deep cut, Sam, yeah, for, for that. Yeah. If anything, that would probably be part of, of a box set. Yeah, you, you, you would need to sort of like pair them up i think because uh yeah the the the, the strength of Samo in terms of uh, how you ship units that's there but um i don't know it's uh it's still a little bit too deep cut i think um, for people to pick it up right away a limited edition right away let's finish this one off thank you Stuart, for taking time out of the beer uh, drinking and beer reviewing and uh, all those magnificent things you do so i'm gonna let you go to uh, pursue that work again going from audio going back to Glorious, uh, glorious uh, HD on on YouTube. Uh, the star that you are, you need to be in the spotlight. So um, you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to resume that after we uh, stop this recording. But uh, thank you very much for participating. Nevertheless, no problem. It's, it's always nice to do a podcast uh, sober. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but you, you're more controlled. You 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 do these uh, tests and reviews under controlled conditions. You know, you 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 fast for two weeks or something like that, so your palate is cleansed before you do beer reviews, right? all as chaotic as Mr. KW. Thank you again, Stuart. Uh, all the Logalogs links are available in the show post, uh, but uh, you're welcome to do a little plug at the end, nevertheless. Yeah, if, if you're interested in finding out about the shenanigans that me and Tom KW do, uh, go onto YouTube, search uh, the Logs, and yeah, we have a variety of shows on our channel, whether it is beer reviews, mystery beer reviews, interviews, uh, we have a, a competitive uh, beer shopping show called uh, Beer Wars. What's the tally right now? How many have you won? How many have Tom won? I won the season. Uh, we had 
because uh, there's only so many shops you could go to that both me and Tom have. Uh, we were 3-3. Three, three. We had both won three episodes each. So we did a, a season finale on a live stream where we went to one last store and it came down to a draw. Like uh, We both had a draw in the first round. I won the second round. Tom won the third round. And then it was sudden death. And the whole part of beer wars is how much beer can you get for £10? So we literally had to compare receipts to see who had got closest to £10 on their shop to decide a winner. And I had £9.99 spent. <laughs> so it was quite the diva moment for Tom. The figure he got so close and lost out by a few pennies. But it was fun to watch. Yeah, that's it. There's just lots of video. I think we've got over 50 different ones now. And it ranges everything from movie commentaries, film reviews beer reviews, and uh, I'll look inside breweries as well. I get to go out with my camera every so often and get in and kind of show you what it's like behind the scenes. Excellent. We'll uh, link to all of that. So thank you uh, to Stuart. Tom does his um, appearances uh, on this show and the director series every now and again. So thank you to you both for taking time to uh, to come back to old Ken. <laughs> to see what Ken does over here. He hasn't changed anything, but they can come back to give him a, give him a pat on the back and a cookie and then, then you can leave. But uh, I appreciate it. And it was a neat discussion of the, these early works of uh, Summer Homes. I mean, we, we, we've done the stuff, most of the stuff in a way, in between Iron Fisted Monk and Carry On Pickpocket. That's why I did the jump. But I'm still kind of obsessed with doing the early works of uh, persons, even if it's really a piss poor work, in all honesty. Like, uh, they... Sometimes they play a part in the career of someone. I'm, I'm mainly looking at like uh, directing works here. It's not like I'm going back to Jackie Chan's. Well, having said, I, I was going to say I'm not going back to like the 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 movie Young Tiger where Jackie Chan is a villain with that giant mole on his face. Ah, uh, yes. But we have done like this big special on Master with cracked fingers, like examining the original version, the recut version, the alternate recut version, the shorter version of the recut version, like wow. four versions of master with cracked fingers it's not a great movie <laughs> but I'm, i really like that stuff though uh detailing documenting the early works and sometimes you know when, when producers exploit you know you have bruce exploitation in that case is jackie exploitation and i can't get enough of that stuff i really like it uh, I, I find it fascinating so that's why that special was as meaty as it was uh watching four versions of the same film original Mandarin recut, English recut, and second English shorter recut. Mm-hmm. Four versions. Got, got them all on um, on DVD and Blu-ray. Healthy, uh, <laughs> healthy uh, shopping bag for uh, for that episode. But uh, thank you again, Stuart, uh, for all your podcast and fire network needs. Uh, check out the show post and uh, all relevant links uh, connected to the show, including the logger logs links. Uh, it will be, be available in, in the show post. So we're going to sign off. So thank you to Stuart. And uh, this has been... Uh, can be and with me was Stuart Sutherland who gets the appropriate honor of signing us off thank you very much Ken and thank you to you all for listening for the years of support and continued support whether you're listening to the podcasts clips on YouTube or uh, now on 88 film blu-rays it's very nice to see that the continued support on our Facebook groups goes on and on keep supporting these guys they're absolute legends in my book it's worth your time thank you for listening